Well, a very good morning to you. It's great to be together, family. And it's great when we're together as family, especially when we know that Father is with us. And uh, if you're a visitor among us, we, we, we hope that you have that sense that we have here, that God is in this place, and uh, we can encounter him here. There's, there's this tension that we live in, which is that God is everywhere, and he's sustaining all things at all times. But at the same moment, he can be especially present in places. And when his people gather together and focus on him, he is especially present. Well, we're going to read from the scripture, and uh, we're going to think a bit about joy today. So, uh, if you have your Bible with you, turn it on, open it up to Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading from verse 8. So part of the, the narrative that we read around this time of year, we'll be especially thinking of it around Christmas Day, that story of Jesus' birth, and then immediately after the birth, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Isn't that just a tremendous part of the story? I love this story. You see, when Jesus comes to earth, when God appears in human flesh, takes on a likeness like ours so that he can enter into the world, show us the way of life that pleases God, show us how to be reconnected with God, when Jesus comes into the world so that he can eventually die on a cross in our place and take the punishment for what we've done wrong, when Jesus comes in the world in order that after dying he can be resurrected again and pour his spirit out upon us, when he comes, he could have appeared to anybody. Like if he came to this country today, who would he come to? Well, he'd come to the Instagram influencers, wouldn't he? So that everybody could see it all straight away and we'd all like it. Baby's born, it's Jesus. Like, 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 like. Maybe he'd come to the Queen, we'd think, and that's what our expectation would be. 
But actually in this story, the angel comes and announces this birth to shepherds. Now there's two reasons why. The first reason is, who else is awake at night? No, I'm just kidding. The first reason is, there's something humble about shepherds. And there's a kind of statement being made. Jesus is coming into the world and it's good news for the poor. You don't have to be rich to inherit the kingdom of God. It's good news. There's a kind of humility thing here. Uh, But the second thing is because Jesus himself is a shepherd. You need to get that bit of the story. So, like if he was a, a painter who'd come, you'd announce this news to painters. The best ever painter there's going to be has come. Come and see the best ever painter. If you'd been a, if you'd been, I don't know, pick a trade, any kind of trade. If you'd been a bin man, then it would have been, you know, the best bin man in the world. You'd get to, you know, you get them all. He's going to be the best bin man ever. Jesus has come into the world. He's going to be the best shepherd there's ever been. So the angels go and tell the shepherds, come and see what's happened. Isn't that amazing? And the heart of this message is, there's one coming into the world who will give joy to all people. Joy to all people. Now, I don't know what we might expect that news to be. We, we have Jesus coming into the midst of human history at a time when the people of God are, are being crushed by an oppressive nation, when they're far away from what they might have expected of God. We might expect him to come and it's going to be great victory or it's going to be a military might, it's going to bring revival, whatever it is. But the angels say he's come to bring joy. Joy. And so we need to be thinking about how Jesus brings joy. Susanna and I once went to, well we've been a couple of times, but one time we went to the Keswick Convention. Anybody been to the Keswick Convention? <laughs> Do you know that just doesn't surprise me. Lovely people, great Bible teaching, a little bit on the dry side. A little bit on the dry side. But Luis Palau was speaking one year. Have you heard of Luis Palau? And he's a great evangelist, a really gifted speaker. And uh, he looked out on this crowd of 2,000 people, something like that. And they are, and this isn't a judgment, but they're mostly seniors, mostly from quite conservative evangelical churches. And Luis Palau does something which is the most, I think, the second maybe most bold thing I've ever heard a preacher do. And I can't say the first most bold thing because it involves swearing. You can have to ask me later. Tony Campolo, if you know that story about Tony Campolo. But Luis Palau stood in front of this gathering of 2,000 people, mainly older conservative evangelicals, and he said to them, hands up if you have the joy of the Lord in your heart. And everybody went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Luis Palau immediately followed it with... (coughs) Most of you need to tell your faces. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? It was outrageous. It was scandalous. There was this like intake of breath. It's in a tent and the side of the tent's caved in with everybody going all at the same time. No, it didn't really. I'm exaggerating. And then he went on to say there is a false theology that has come into some parts of the church, and it's the false theology of deep joy. A joy so deep, 
You're there ahead of me, aren't you? So deep that it has no impact on the rest of my life. So deep that you can't quite tell it's there. So deep it would take a year of excavating to find out which corner of our soul it lurks in. It's a tiny part and it's buried deep down. Who wants to say this is a ridiculous idea? That the joy that the Lord gives would be something deeply hidden away and would have no effect on our lives. And friends, I want us to realize that Jesus comes into the world to bring joy. Joy. Not a deep joy that has no effect on our lives, but joy. Notice, not just a happiness, which is like a temporary feeling, isn't it? Something makes us happy, and then something can make us unhappy. But it's joy. This sense of joy, which is a sense within us that there is a reason to rejoice. A sense within us that there is a reason to give thanks. Something has happened, something's going on, something is occurring in our lives which causes within us something that makes us say thank you, something that causes a joyfulness in us, a change in our attitude and our outlook on life. Excuse me. Now I'm very aware that we live in a world where that joy can sometimes seem a long way away. And it may be that there are things going on in our lives that seem to rob us of joy and want to rob us of joy and take that joy away from us. And we're very mindful, I guess, of passages like John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, where Jesus says, the enemy comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. And that includes our joy. The enemy would love to come and to steal away from us our joy, rob us of our joy. But Jesus says, I've come that you can have, what does he say? I've come that you can have Life in all its fullness, or life in abundance, whichever translation you use. So sometimes in life, we can have that joy uh, taken away from us, or it feels like it's been removed from us, or it feels like we're a long way away from the source of joy, or, or if we take a long, hard look at our lives, we recognize that whatever joy we have must be very, very deep because it's not having any impact on the rest of our lives. And it may be all kinds of things have caused that joy to disappear. Maybe there's been some physical ailment in our lives that has just been kind of wearing away for a long time and doesn't seem to let up. And so it's difficult for us to get in touch with that joy. Maybe, maybe some of us have experienced bereavement this year. And so it's hard for us to feel that sense of joy or a redundancy or a breakup in a relationship or something external has happened and it feels like it's robbed us of some of that joy. And so when we talk about joy, we maybe can remember joy, and we'd love to be in that place of joy, but right now we're not there. Maybe we take a look at the election results this week, and for some of us that fills us with joy. The, the party that we would have wanted to win has won, and we feel positive about the future. And for some of us, there's a strong sense of a lack of joy because we have real concerns about the future. And so that joy can be lifted, that joy can seem like a long way away. And so for just a few minutes, I want us to think about will we get to that place where joy comes into our lives once more? And so to make this a little easier, <clears throat> I'm going to use three words that all begin with P because it's an old preacher's trick, but it's quite helpful and it helps it get into our heads and stay there. And the first way to find joy, 
the first way that joy comes into our lives, I want to suggest to you, if you're not feeling that joy, the first thing we need to pay attention to is, are we aware of his presence? P for presence. Are we aware of his presence? Now, when I became a Christian, it happened because I became very aware of God's presence and that the Father was with me. And I was lying in my bed, October the 31st, 1987, 10.30 at night. God, if you're there, I really want to know. And I just knew there was a presence of God with me. And there was this security that came into my life, this moment of, even in my teenage years, not having the words to really describe it, I knew that there was a father there who loved me. Some of us have lost fathers. Some of us have different experiences of fathers. But in an ideal world, and many of us perhaps did experience this, then what fathers often bring, and not just fathers but mothers too, and other family members, but perhaps especially fathers, is that sense of security when they're with us and when they enter into our situation. If something difficult is going on with our children and dad is there, and mum too, I'm not saying it's just that, but you know, when the parent is there, that brings a sense of security. I know when we're walking through very busy crowds, my children like to stick close. There are times when it's helpful to have a big, ugly, mean-looking dad. Even if you all know I'm a teddy bear, not everybody else does. And you perhaps have somebody else in your life who isn't a parent figure, but a presence, knowing that they're with you, makes all of the difference in the world. Maybe there's a really close friendship. You know, you have a, a friend who's like a sister or a brother. And God has been in your lives together and there's things that you've faced. And you've faced them together. And knowing that they were standing right next to you in that moment has given you a sense of courage and joy because you're doing this thing together. They're with you. And that person being with you, maybe it's your wife or your husband, Knowing that this moment there with you, you're not alone, changes everything. And it brings joy into that moment even. A sense of thankfulness that even though I'm in this moment at this time, they're with me. I'm not in this thing alone. And the message of Christmas, the message that was sung by the angel choir to the shepherds, is that God has sent his son into the world, and so there is joy. And when Jesus came into the world, the presence of God came and dwelt among human beings. And then he died on the cross, rose again up into heaven, and sends his spirit upon us, so that he is always with us. One of the ways for us, if we're lacking joy in our lives, or one of the sources of joy for us, an explanation of why some Christians are always so blooming happy all of the time, is because we know he's with us. And it makes all the difference. And sometimes when that joy is robbed from us, the first question you should be asking is, how do I get close to God again? How do I get close to the Father again? How do I get back into his presence? Because in his presence there is fullness of joy, says the scripture. In his presence there is fullness of joy. That's our first P. 
Get back into his presence. Learn his presence. Celebrate his presence. Live in his presence. The second P is, a, is about perspective. One of the ways that we can get back into a place of joy is by learning to see from his perspective. In the Old Testament, there's a prophet called Habakkuk. I love Habakkuk. If you're an American among us, I'm talking about Habakkuk. It's the same person. And uh, in Habakkuk chapter 3, we see this thing about perspective. This is a time when it's a difficult moment in the history of the nation of Israel. And the prophet says this, verse 17 of Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, although the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Saviour. Wow. Wow. Now these images that are used here in verse 17 are actually images of what Israel was meant to be. So in the Old Testament, Israel is likened to a fig tree. It's likened to an olive tree. It's likened to a vine. They are the sheep and there is a shepherd. So it's kind of like if, even though the nation isn't being fruitful, even though we're not where we should be, even though we're a long way from the Lord, even though nothing's going right, the prophet said, still I'll rejoice, still I'll be joyful. Wow. Is that like some kind of denial writ large? What would Freud say about that? Is it just denial to say, well, there's all this horrible stuff going on around me, but I'm going to rejoice anyway? Now, let me be really clear. There's a temptation for us sometimes to put on a bit of a show and lead an inauthentic life. I'm not talking about leading an inauthentic life. You know, we've known people who've lost children and everything's fine, Lord's in control, it's all okay. And you just know that inside they're crumbling and they're just not facing up to it. That's not what I'm talking about. We're not talking about a denial thing here. We're talking about a shift in perspective. What's the bigger picture? What is it that God sees in this moment? And perhaps if I see what's going on in my life right now with God's perspective, then I'll get a handle on what's going on. And Habakkuk the prophet had something of that. His perspective shifts because he realizes that his joy and his sense of security and his sense of purpose and that sense of well-being within him that causes rejoicing to rise is not dependent on the fruitfulness of the crops around him. And you need to know that the joyful life that God has for you is not dependent on the signs of fruitfulness that the world would look at and would say, this is the prosperity, this is when your life is going well. For Habakkuk, he goes on to say these words in verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength And he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. There's the perspective shift. Even though this horrible stuff is going on around me, yet still God brings strength into my life. 
And God enables me to get to that place of security and hope, even though everything is going wrong all around me. When we capture from God's perspective, when we see things from God's point of view, then joy starts to rise because we see we're not abandoned in a fruitful, uh, fruitless place. But God is with us in that moment and wants us to see things differently and behave differently in that situation. Our circumstances and our perspective on our circumstances don't define our joy. God's perspective on our circumstances should. And so we get that story in Nehemiah chapter 8, when the people of God have rebuilt Jerusalem, and then along comes Ezra, and they open up and they find the scroll of the law. And for the first time in generations, the law is read out loud. And the people start to weep and cry because they realize we've really messed up. We are so far from God. And they realize that God has demanded and required all kinds of things and they haven't done it. They've been unfaithful. They've been living a life far away from God. And in Nehemiah chapter 10, we read these famous words. No, Nehemiah 8 instead of 10. Let's read that instead. Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, instructed the people... This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't weep or mourn because the people had been weeping as they listened to the law. And Nehemiah said, go. Go and enjoy some choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who've got nothing prepared. This day is holy to our God. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hang on, we've just discovered something. We've just discovered, said the people of God, that God has wanted us to live a certain way for ages and ages, and we've not done it, and we've lived in disobedience, and we haven't kept the festivals, and we've not kept his law. We've lived in rebellion, and we haven't done it. We've been ignorant. This is just terrible. And Nehemiah says, no, change your perspective. Now you know. Now you know. When I tell you the truth, that God is real, that he came as Jesus, and that's what we're thinking about at Christmas, into a world in order that he can show us the way to the Father, you've got two choices. You either say, oh my goodness, if that's real, I'm in a huge amount of trouble because I've lived my whole life as though God wasn't real. Or you say, hallelujah, now I know God's real. Now I can live my life in a way that pleases him. Do you see the perspective shift? We need to shift our perspective. God is real, but it's not terrible news for us because we have time to do something about that news. And we can get close to his presence. The third and final P is power. Power. This joy that comes into our lives comes through the power of God's Holy Spirit at work in us. And in Galatians chapter 5, there are these two lists. I'm not going to read them both. One list is fairly depressing. You probably don't want to use that as a checklist for your life. And it just lists the stuff that happens when we choose to live in our power or the power that the world might give to us. The kind of acclaim of others and worldly wealth and whatever we might in our kind of soulishness, our human nature, whatever levers of power we might cling on to. 
And that way of life, which has a different kind of power in it, just leads to all kinds of destructive things. But then in Galatians chapter 5, this is what the writer said. The fruit of the Spirit, however, is love and joy. And peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. But there's that second one. The fruit of God at work in our lives is joy. So have you allowed God to be at work in your life? Is God at work in your life? Is the Holy Spirit working in you so that the fruit of what he's doing is that there is more love and more joy in your life? This is a good list to check. You should write down these nine things and go home and just scratch your head and say, am I aware that I am growing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and the other four, five? Am I growing in these things? Is there more evidence of these things? If not, well then here's the perspective thing. You've got a choice. Beat yourself up. Pretty fruitless, don't do that. Or say... God, I want to be open to your power in my life so that I can grow in those things. What is it that's stopping more of your Holy Spirit coming into my life? Is there stuff I need to stop doing? Is there stuff that I need to say sorry for? Am I just been like ignorant of that and I've lived my life in ignorance that there's a power that can cause this stuff to grow in me? Is that what's happening? Well, thank you, God, that I know that there's a different way now. I want more of your power in my life so that I can have more love and more joy. Who wants more joy? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine of us, great. Nine of us want more joy. One of the ways of getting more joy is to know more of the power of God in our lives. Now I am painfully aware as I'm talking here of joy. But for some it's just washing over us because it's hard for us to get in touch with joy. And even now, you know, we might be thinking that just feels like a very long way away because there's this thing that dominates our thinking and it's something that's happened this year or it's a situation that's been ongoing for a while. Friends, I want to encourage you, Blue Christmas is a space where we can acknowledge some of that stuff. It's a space where we say, God, I'm not in touch with that joy. I need to come and tell you, God, that it hurts right now. And is there any way that I can find hope and joy in the midst of this? Blue Christmas is one of the things that we're providing to help explore that question. Just an hour together on Tuesday evening, a chance to seek something of God's joy or his hope. You'll find some of these at the back of church if you want to take one with you. If, as I've been going through this message today, there's something in you that's just screaming, no, but, no, but. Jonathan, you don't know this. You're right, I don't know. But God does. And in the midst of that, he wants you to know his presence. In the midst of that, he wants you to see his perspective. And in the midst of that, he wants you to draw upon the power that he has in order that joy might once more come into your life. Let's pray together. Well, the angels sang and spoke to those shepherds and told them of great news that was going to bring joy. And Lord, we long to know that joy. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our ignorance, in the midst of the struggles of life, Lord, we long to know joy. And sometimes it feels a long way away, 
or searching for something that seems difficult to find. But Lord, help us to know that you're with us. Help us to be very aware of your presence with us, even now. Closer than a friend. Closer than a sister or a brother. Closer than a wife or a husband. Closer than a parent. Bringing deep security and causing joy. Lord, if there's something we're not seeing in our perspective, would you help us to see as you see? And Lord, we long to know more of your power. Holy Spirit, even now, would you come afresh into our lives that where joy might be hidden very deep, let it rise to the surface, Lord. Let your joy infuse our lives. When we look at Jesus, we see a life filled in complete joy. And we long to know that life among us. Lord, let this be a Christmas, I pray, where we rediscover joy once more. Amen.